so your speaker is Brett Laird, and um, we've we've gotten to know Brett over the years from his time on the mission field. For 11 years, he was a missionary in Ukraine, and uh, we, as a church, we partnered with him during that time, and it was such a blessing. I always really loved it when you would come back and, and share with us the things of the things that, that was hap- going on in Ukraine. Uh, currently, he's the pastor of Calvary Bible Church in Kalamazoo, Missouri. So he made a trek down here uh, to be with us. So we're we're super grateful. He has um, is it four children? Mm-hmm. Four children, and he's been married to his wife for for 20 years. He's a graduate of the Master Seminary, and so we're just super blessed to to have Brett Brett with us this morning. So would you would you welcome Brett for us this morning? Thanks, Coach. Hey, thanks, Brian. So technically Kalamazoo is in Michigan, but we'll take Missouri. <laughs> it, 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 it sounds warmer at least. Uh, so, you know, but actually this year, you know, with U, U of M winning the national championship and, you know, the Lions winning the first playoff game in, you know, like, I don't know, I'm not from Michigan, so the locals would tell you how long it's been. I just know it's like hasn't been in my lifetime. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So, and, and, you know, you come to a new place and, like I'm from Denver, Colorado, right? So like we couldn't care less about college football, right? <laughs> like it's all Denver Broncos. And I come there and even during candidating, they're like, are you for U of M or if you for Michigan State, right? And they're like, and you better not be for Ohio State. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even care, right? So the good news is in our town, uh, we have Western Michigan University and their mascot is what? the Broncos. So the good news is, is whenever anyone asks me what, who I'm for, I can say I'm a lifelong Broncos fan, say it absolutely honestly, and, you know, and hope they don't ask any clarifying questions why I'm wearing orange instead of brown. But anyway, so uh, it's nice to be with you guys. And, uh, you know, one of the, the benefits of being a workshop speaker at a conference where Brett Kapranica is a workshop speaker is a bunch of guys think they're coming for him. They get me, and it works out great anyway. So, uh, but but it's a joy to to be with you. And um, you know, the theme, uh, as as you know, uh, this year is the household of God, the church, as a family. And so we're really thinking about the church and the role of members in the church. And this is a practical. It's a needed topic. Um, I think overall in the United States, it's safe to say that ecclesiology, our doctrine of the church is one of our weakest areas. So for example, you know, overall in the US we haven't done and this is this is the you know, this is on on us as pastors. We haven't done a really good job of helping people understand, for example, how the ordinances and belonging to a local church interconnect. What's the significance of the ordinances? Is it just this thing we do or does it have any connection to the church? Those type of questions. Um, so there's a lot of ecclesiological topics that um, you know, that we, we need to kind of sharpen and kind of recover uh, in our day. But this one, which I, I think is the kind of the, you know, theme of the, of the conference of this really being a family, right? What does it mean to be part of this spiritual family uh, that Ephesians calls the household of God? One of the most common terms used in the New Testament in reference to fellow believers is brethren, Right? You just see over and over again, brethren, brethren, brethren. Um, there's even a verse that says, let the love of the brethren continue. Right? We're going to be looking at that in a second. We've been adopted as sons by the Heavenly Father, and that makes us brothers. Right? Um, my 10-year-old uh, uh, little girl 
you know, she had made kind of an early childhood profession of faith and, you know, you know, she's a great kid and, you know, you're kind of watching her learn and a couple of weeks ago, I'm Saturday night, I'm in my sermon prep and she comes to me with tears in her eyes and said, Dad, I need to be saved, you know. And uh, so we, we spent a glorious time um, going over the gospel. And at the end of it, I, I said, you know, you know, now not only are we father and daughter, but in God's family now we're brothers and sisters, uh, you know, a brother and sister in Christ. And, um, and that was meaningful to her, right? It, it's, it's this understanding now you're part of a spiritual family um, that you belong to. The spiritual family in some sense, right? The family, the biological family has a key role in God's plan. Um, you see that from the very beginning throughout the scriptures. Uh, and I think in the U.S., there's been so many books written and so much emphasis placed on our biological families, right? Like how many good husband books are there? How many good father books are there? How often do you hear about being good husbands and fathers? But we don't really talk a lot about how to be good siblings uh, in the church. I don't know about you, but uh, I lived with my biological siblings for 18 years, but I'm going to be part of the church all my life, right? And not only that, but unlike biological siblings who typically spend only about 18 years in the same household, brothers and sisters in Christ will dwell in the household of the Lord together forever, right? And if, you know, praise the Lord, my siblings are, are all saved, but if you have unsaved siblings, you know, your relationship, the dwelling in the household with your brothers and sisters in Christ will last in eternity, whereas with some biological siblings, that's not the case. So we not only share fellowship in local churches during this life, we will dwell in the household of God together forever. And I think that in one sense, our eschatology, right, our doctrine of the end times, needs to motivate our ecclesiology, right? Why is, for example, reconciliation so important? Well, you know, sometimes as pastors we have to say, hey, you know, <laughs> you guys are, you know, like, you're not going to be able to avoid each other forever, right, if you both belong to Christ. Uh, so you might as well, you know, get it done now rather than at the Bema seat. So, um, so I think our, our ecclesiology is just interconnected with all sorts of uh, vital theological and practical things. So topic that uh, I was asked to do is, like, how to be a good church member, right? And, and uh, so I've entitled this, How to Be a Blessing, Not a Burden. And, and our topic really is, well, what does it mean to be like a good sibling, right, in the church? How do, what does it mean to be a good member? Um, you know, <laughs> now I'll just confess, sometimes pastors amongst each other, right? Like, you know, I, like there's you know, the local guys in our area, and, you know, we get together, we have lunch, and, you know, sometimes a family has moved from one church to the other. And, you know, you're listening to the guys talk about the family that moved from one to the other, and the one guy's happy that a new family came, but you start to notice that the other guy is just as happy that they left, you know? <laughs> and, and you're like, you know, the one guy's like, this is a, one guy's like, this is a blessed addition. And the other guy, he's trying not to come right out and say it, but he's like, this is a blessed subtraction, you know? Like, and um, so, you know, how do you, you know, if you're, if you do move geographically, right? Life takes you to a different church. How do you leave a legacy where like you're missed where you left, and you're, you know, and you're a joy where you've come, rather than, you know, the rejoicing being 
where you left and the sorrow being where you came, right? I mean, how do you, how do you be a blessing, not a burden? I think the reason I was asked to speak on this topic is not because I have any kind of special expertise in it, but because of all the speakers, I'm the one from farthest away, <laughs> right? So, you know, like if this conference was in Michigan, I might give a lot more vague illustrations because <laughs> I wouldn't want somebody to be like, is he talking about my aunt, <laughs> right? Like, you know, so, I, you know, I want to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, and I want you guys to think through that, and, and um, you know, so I think kind of being far away, you know, so, so for example, I was thinking like, if I, during this message, call out Joe Smith, you know, for being a constant complainer, right? It's not your Joe Smith, right? It's some other Joe Smith, and, um, you know, so you know I'm definitely not talking about you or someone you know, but what's interesting is you can give examples from another part of the country and like the guys in the room are like, oh yeah, that happens here too. So I just want to talk frankly about what is and can be a sensitive topic of, you know, you know, there's people who are, you know, who are such a blessing to a congregation. And then there are those that are truly a nuisance, right? And um, that doesn't mean the Lord doesn't love them and that we don't love them. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, the command to love one another doesn't mean you should make it hard to love one another, right? Like, you want to be kind of easy to love. And um, how are we going to do that? I want to acknowledge, though, that sometimes the difficulty is on, is on the church leadership side, right? We're, we're not always right, and, we always, and even if we're right on the call we make, we don't always implement the call uh, in the right way. So sometimes church controversies, difficulty in relationships are the pastors and elders' fault. Um, there's no doubt that people who have been in churches, sometimes they've, they've experienced just either wrong or even sinful, even wicked uh, behavior from church leaders. Um, you know, sin on the part of leadership is, is, you know, cannot be excluded uh, from this conversation. But, you know, the kind of the topic is like a little bit more focused on, on the members. So like at a pastor's conference, I would probably preach to the pastors about, you know, you know, not, not, um, you know, not lording it over the flock, that type of thing, but uh, because of the nature of the conference, I'm going to kind of focus a little bit on the members. So it's a little bit going to be, you know, just a little bit of a man-to-man -man talk on, like, how to not be a drag uh, in your church. So I want to give you kind of a list of do and do's and don'ts. So open your Bibles to Hebrews 13. One of the, you know, the things, right, so, you know, w you know, at our church we do expository preaching, so I'm, you know, preaching through the book of Isaiah, and even when I'm kind of doing a topical message like this one, I, I try to find one passage that really speaks to that and kind of stick to it because I also don't want to cherry pick, right? I don't want this session to be like, you know, 45 minutes of Brett's pet peeves, right? And so I'm like, okay, rather than kind of, you know, talking about pet peeves of mine, uh, I just want to find a passage and let the passage kind of glean it. Um, so we're going to be in Hebrews 13, um, and we're going to try to cover the whole chapter, a little rapid fire. We'll slow down for a couple pieces of it. And um, I've, I've got a handout for you because I realized, okay, uh, if you're going to have a 20-point message, uh, you better provide a handout. <laughs> so, so um, you know, just kind of jot it in the, the lines as we go. So it's kind of kind of half preaching, half uh, classroom style here. Uh, but we're just going to kind of march through the passage. And there's a ton in this passage that that we could talk about. I mean, there's doctrine in this passage and all this. I'm going to, I'm kind of taking a topical approach to this passage, just saying, how do we relate the instructions given here to being a church member? So we're going to go over 20 ways to be a blessing and not a burden to your church and to your leaders. 
So these are kind of 20 do's and 20 don'ts uh, you know, for you uh, to apply. So number one is cultivate relational tenacity. And I wanted you to have to write those words, relational tenacity. Cultivate relational tenacity. That's the do. Now here's the don't. Avoid fight or flight reactions to church conflicts. Avoid fight or flight reactions to church conflicts. And glean this from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, which simply says, let love of the brethren continue. Now notice this presupposes that the love exists. You belong to Christ, right? First John, for example, says, look, if you say you love God, but don't love your brothers, you're a liar, right? Uh, you know, a little bit to, to Pastor Rick's point. You know, you say you love Christ, you don't like his bride, I don't believe you really like the groom either. Um, so this verse presupposes that you have love for the brethren, right? You're born again, Holy Spirit's within you, the Holy Spirit loves the brethren, so if he's in you, you'll love the brethren, and this is an exhortation to let that love continue. Let it continue. And so this brings to my mind two words, persistence and perseverance, right? You want to have a persistent love, a love which endures year after year after year after year, right? The church hoppers don't have a persistent love. Like, they go to church, they, oh, man, they love the church. And two years later, yeah, it's kind of got old. So they go to another church. They love the church. Two years later, Oh, I love the church. I love, the, you know, and th 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 so they have this like truly love-hate relationship with the church. They love it for a year, hate it for a year, leave it, right? You know, and so they're dating, right? They're kind of dating around, um, you know, never married. And, um, you know, but you want to have a committed love, a persistent love, a love that endures uh, over the years. And you want to have a love that is, that perseveres, perseveres through frustrations, disappointments, conflicts right? It's not all going to be, you know, easy peasy. You're going to have to persevere in love in order to truly love. Number two, be intentional in reaching out to people you don't know. Avoid slipping into cliquish neglect of visitors. So be intentional in reaching out to people you don't know. Avoid slipping into cliquish neglect of visitors. Hebrews 13.2 simply says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it, right? So you got to reach out, show hospitality, right? Invite over to your house, talk, you know, hospitality does, okay, hospitality technically is bringing people into your home, but you usually don't have anyone in your home that you haven't had a conversation with in the lobby, right? So hospitality begins in the lobby and ends in your home, and it says show hospitality to strangers, it's people you don't know yet. Right? So make sure that you are a hospitable, you want a hospital, you want a friendly church, a hospitable church, you have to be friendly and hospitable because the friendliness of a church is the aggregate of the whole congregation. So many times people are like, our church isn't very friendly. And what they mean is, you know, we don't have people in like bright colored vests that like, you know, direct people to their parking spot and no one hands them a latte the second they walk in the door. Like, and that, that type of stuff. It's all like, hey, the church leaders really need to get this visitor welcoming system down. You know, hospitality is not a system. Hospitality is the aggregate of people who love strangers, and, and we'll show that to them. You know, the verse says, you know, some have entertained angels unaware. You know, it kind of makes me think, like, if an angel showed up at my church, would anyone talk to him? 
right? Like, is he going to, like, go back to the Lord and be like, hey, you know, I bopped down and visited Calvary Bible Church, and nobody even talked to me, right? Um, you know, what would the report, uh, you know, be given by an angel regarding your church? Okay, number three, be a refuge for the oppressed. Avoid turning your back on those in need. Verse three says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body. Now, notice that in both cases, remember prisoners like you're in prison with them, those who are ill-treated because you're in the body, right? So this is, this is truly put yourself in other people's shoes, right? Take the time to think through what their life is like. You meet a single, uh, uh, you know, a single mom who has three kids, you know, or her husband ran off with some other woman. Think to yourself, what is it like when the faucet leaks? What, it, what, what does she do? How does she ever get a break, right? And then from that is going to flow some ways of serving and, and uh, of being a blessing, blessing. So be a refuge for the oppressed. Avoid turning your back on those in need. Fourth, bless the church by loving your wife. Bless the church by loving your wife. Avoid becoming a counseling crisis or a cautionary tale. Right? Avoid becoming a counseling crisis or a cautionary tale. Verse 4, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So, you know, the number one thing that I think distracts, right? So, you know, what keeps the church from being on offense, right? Being on offense, going out with the Great Commission, and winning the lost, and discipling new believers, and, you know, following that, that Acts pattern of getting people saved, and then baptized, and then added to the church, and, and then mature and reproducing. The number one thing that distracts from offense is the need for defense, right? And the need for defense typically is when someone, Satan has got a foothold in, you know, some guy's life, and so now, in our spiritual family, we have a biological family that's imploding. And what does that do? Leadership has to go to the wounded lambs and patch them up and to the straying one and try to pull him back. And, and, and those situations, right, a marriage crisis becomes very consuming for church leaders and for the body, right? What's everybody praying about? <sighs> Pray for such and such a family, they're on the verge of divorce. Pray for the kids, pray, you know, right? And obviously we need to be doing that, but you don't want to be the cause of a church shifting from offense to defense, right? You don't want to be a counseling crisis or a cautionary tale. Number five, be content with your current financial status. Avoid letting love of money distract and divert you from fellowship and service in your church. Look at Verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So notice, financial contentment has zero to do with your bank accounts and your equity and what the market's doing. Financial contentment, according to this verse, has everything to do with a promise made by God. That's that's where financial contentment comes from. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. No matter what state you're in, that promise is true. So you just trust God with it, right? Um, so you want to be content with your current financial status. Notice it says, it says, be content with what you have currently, right? So whatever status you're in at this very moment, be content with that. You have to 
think to yourself, could I be content if this situation never improves? Like, it never gets better. Like, are you going to be discontent for the rest of your life if it never, if it never gets better? You know, I lived overseas uh, in Ukraine, and there were people there, highest educated, hardest working, best money managers, everything, right? But the after effects of Soviet domination for so long kept those people in poverty generation after generation after generation, right? So what if it never gets better? Doesn't get better for you, doesn't get better for your kids, doesn't get better for your children's children. Can you be content with what you have? You know, this is a command to do so, right? What you have right now. So, and what happens is when guys are discontent with their finances, you know, so I, I'm thinking of a guy, he was, he was one of our most effective evangelists. He was in a key leadership role in the church. And then his business had a significant reversal. And he came to us and said, hey, you know what? I got I to gotta shift my focus, right? And for about six years, I mean, he went from being one of our core guys to like, you know, showing up three Sundays out of four, right? And out of the game, out of service, out of everything, right? And he left a huge hole that we, that we, had, we had to plug and fill. Well, now he is kind of making his way back. But the leadership role he's in, someone else is leading, you know, and he's a little bit struggling to find, find his place. And, you know, I, it's not that I don't understand that there's seasons of time and, you know, busier in other seasons of time, but just make sure that you don't let financial concerns begin to, you know, overwhelm and dominate other important things. All right, number six, develop humble confidence in Christ. Avoid the personal insecurity which makes a man thin-skinned and too easily offended. Develop humble confidence in Christ. Avoid the personal insecurity which makes a man thin-skinned and too easily offended. Look at verse 6. It says, We can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Right? Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? One of the biggest causes of church conflicts uh, is just simply male ego. Just male ego. It's just that simple. Just male egos, you know. You know, somebody wanted a position, didn't get it. You know, somebody had an opinion. Their opinion wasn't the one that won out in the end, right? And their ego gets offended, and they get all, you know, off in a huff. Don't be insecure. So here's a little kind of, you know, progression for you. Insecure men are fearful men, right? What Personal insecurity is fear, right? I won't be respected. Or since I didn't get my way, of course my way is right. If they didn't do what I think they should do, of course it's going to, you know, the church is going to tank and it's all going to, you know, and I'm going to have to say, see, I told you so, right? It's all, insecurity is driven by fear. So insecure men are fearful men. Fearful men are fragile men. Fragile men are fickle men. And fickle men are faithless men, right? So personal insecurity is a path. Insecurity comes from fear. Fearful men are fragile, emotionally fragile. Fragile men, therefore, are fickle because, you know, you have to constantly coddle their ego in, in order to keep them happy. And they're fickle. When, they're, when they feel honored, they're there. They feel dishonored, they're not there. And fickle men, therefore, are faithless. Okay, number seven. Imitate the strengths of spiritual mentors. Avoid imitating their weaknesses. 
Imitate the strengths of spiritual mentors. Avoid imitating their weaknesses. Look at verse 7. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So, you know, this is a, a call to imitate the faith of, you know, of good examples. But notice the call to discernment here. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Not everything that, you know, so think of your, like, I don't know, who's your a little bit kind of spiritual hero, right? You know, it's like, you know, who's the, like, guy that, like, of, of everybody, you're like, yeah, this is the guy that has had the greatest impact on my life, right? His teachings had the greatest impact, his example, you know, his examples had the greatest impact. Like, who do you kind of want to be like, right? You know, the, the scriptures tell us, right, the student will become like his teacher, right? So, you know, you had in the, you know, in the biblical times, rabbis, right? And, and kind of people were following rabbis. So a little bit kind of who are your rabbis, right? But notice that not everything that your hero does is right, right? He, he's not infallible, right? Only the scripture is. Not everything he does, even the things he does, which is wise, doesn't mean that what he's done is the wisest, right? He may be you know, have chosen a good thing, but it's not necessarily the best thing. And not everything that he does is transferable to your context. Uh, Josh Mills, Pastor Josh, uh, yesterday at the, the shepherds gathering, the pastors gathering and leaders gathering, gave a great illustration of this. He said, remember, Michael Jordan playing for the Bulls was an astounding success. Michael Jordan playing for the White Sox was not quite as astounding success, right? So, you know, take your hero, right? And, and just know this, your hero, if he was the pastor of your church, might totally flame out, might totally flame out. Because, you know, like that success was for that context. You know, I, I went to masters and so, you know, I've been very influenced by the ministry of Dr. MacArthur and but I try to remind myself, Dr. MacArthur became the pastor of Grace Community Church, which is right in the center of the San Fernando Valley, at the time in which the San Fernando Valley was the most rapid-growing community in the world. And part, you know, it's God's giftedness, it's faithfulness on his part, there's many, many things, but that is also a part of that story. And so if you're in a rural community, you're in a declining community, it's not going to be the same. If John MacArthur had been the pastor of, you know, in Detroit, when all of the car companies were collapsing and people were moving out in droves, it pro probably would have gone a little differently, right? So just understand, like, Jordan for the Bulls, I love that illustration that Josh gave, right? It's like I stole it just from yesterday, right? Jordan with the Bulls is a success. Jordan with the White Sox, not as much a success. So don't, it's good to learn lessons from someone, but don't be, uh, you know, don't just be kind of an undiscerning, um, you know, acquirer of things, right? It says, consider the result of their conduct. The things that, you know, should be applied, apply. The things that can't be applied, don't apply. Okay, number eight, realize that only Jesus is immutable. 
Avoid the inevitable disappointment of hero worship. So this kind of builds on the former one. Realize that only Jesus is immutable. Avoid the inevitable disappointment of hero worship. Right after he says, look, consider their conduct and imitate their faith, he says then, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I think he, he, he's given a little reminder, right? Okay, so there's somebody, who it's like, man, yeah, I can really imitate this guy. He, like, I can learn from him. And you learn from him, and it's a blessing to you. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later, he changes his theological position. Or he has a moral failure, right? Or there's some sort of conflict that happens. And, and you're like left crushed, right? Because you've been kind of like following this guy and then he like veers off the path that he was leading you on. Or you were following this guy and then, you know, he turned out not to be as wonderful of a guy as you thought he was. I think, you know, the scripture says, look, yes, remember those who led you who spoke the word of God to you, consider the result of their conduct, imitate their faith, but remember there's only one person who doesn't have human fickleness. And that is... Jesus Christ, the God-man, right? The only consistent man is the God-man, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, number nine, be firmly anchored in sound doctrine, but avoid controversies and debates which don't strengthen the heart by grace. Look at verses nine through 12. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. So he's taking kind of the, the kind of key theological and practical debate of the time, right? This letter to the Hebrews, right? And the Gentiles are coming to the church, and so they have all these debates over the clean and unclean foods, and, you know, they're trying to, you know, they're devoting themselves to breaking bread together, so they're all trying to have meals together for the first time, right? You know, the wall of separation has been torn down. There's all of these debates, and he says, look, don't be carried away by teachings. And he says, you want things that will strengthen the heart by grace, not these arguments over foods. He says, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. There's no benefits to these debates. Like, what difference does it make? Right? And he goes on to explain, right, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So be firmly anchored in sound doctrine, but part of being anchored in sound doctrine is avoiding controversies and debates which don't strengthen the heart by grace. Right? Paul tells Timothy, avoid speculations, avoid unnecessary arguments, and I'm just telling you, not everything that is being debated online is going to strengthen the heart by grace. There are so many controversies. People come to me, they're like, hey, did you hear that this big name is arguing with this big name over this thing? And they're like, where do you stand, pastor? <laughs> <laughs> and half the time I'm like, I'm like, you know where I stand? <laughs> I'm, kind of a, I'm kind of a Hebrews 13.9 on this, right? Like, you know, once I see how engaging in this is going to strengthen anybody's heart by grace, I'll get a lot more interested, right? Other than that, I'm, um, I'm kind of not too interested. So uh, just avoid kind of the, some of the, you know, don't be a controversy chaser. And, and definitely don't be a, like a controversy connoisseur, right? Every local church 
has the guy who's like he just like follows the like Twitter you know the, the the Twitter debates and then he thinks he's like his ministry in the church is by taking arguments that people unrelated to the local church are having online and bringing that argument to the church like hey thank you yeah that's yeah that's that's uh, you know yeah what I really wanted to do with my Tuesday was weigh in on you know on this so okay number ten. Cheerfully bear the reproach of Christ. Avoid pressuring church leaders to avoid topics which are controversial in your family or at your workplace. Cheerfully bear the reproach of Christ. Avoid pressuring church leaders to avoid topics which are controversial in your family or at work. Every single time, every single time, I, I watch it without fail. If I mention, right, the text, let's say, says something, and I mention, hey, so for example, this is why we, we don't practice the confessional the way the Roman Catholic Church does, right, so I say something like that. Inevitably, I'm going to have at least one person come up to me and say, you, you know my sister was here today, and she's a Roman Catholic, and she's really offended, <laughs> you know, like, did you really have to, you know, like, you didn't have to give that example, you could have you preached this passage without mentioning the Roman Catholic Church, right? You know, or you know, you know, LGBTQ topics, right? You know, you address that issue, you know, and you're like, you know, somebody's like, you know, you know, my granddaughter, you know, I, I've, been, I've been, you know, hoping she would listen online, and of all weeks, you know, this is the week you decide to mention that, right? So think about this, all right? A painful taboo topic in your family doesn't mean it has to be taboo in the church. I, I realize there, there's topics where it's painful and, and people have reached an impasse. And so you, like, it's like you've reached the impasse, you can't talk about it anymore, it can be finances, it can be all kinds of different things, but just because it's a painful taboo in your family at home doesn't mean it should be a taboo in the pulpit or in the church. You need to allow God to work through the offense that the sermon may have caused. You know, I try to say this really gently, but it's like, I'm glad your sister was here today. God wanted her here today. And I understand on the way home, you got an earful. She was angry. She was like, I can't believe you go to church like that. You know what? That's maybe exactly what she needed to hear. Right? And it doesn't mean I always do it right. You know, I listen to people. If, I, if they think I was too caustic or too harsh or whatever, I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll think about that. But I'm not going you know, to pull back on the preaching of the truth in order to meet the, like, co the like personal context of, of, of a thousand people. Right? It's impossible. I wouldn't, I'm like, I wouldn't be able to preach on anything. Right? Um, and it's not my, my role to, you know, to please people anyway. Right? So... Verses 13 to 14, right? So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. So notice it's let us. So this is not just, hey, you individually, go to Christ outside the camp, right? This is let us together go to Christ outside the camp and bear his re reproach. You are, if you go to a church at some point, what your pastor preaches is going to come down hard on you, right? We're, we're living in a day in which, in which you could lose your job because of what your pastor said on Sunday, right? Because you could be put in a situation, listen, 
in this place of employment, we don't allow bigots. And your pastor's a bigot, so leave your church and keep your job, or stay in your church and lose your job. That's coming. There are some men who have already experienced it across the country. But just so you know, it's common and has always been overseas. Right? Overseas, I mean, you live in a predominantly Muslim country, and you go to a Christian church, do you think your economic opportunities are greatly expanded via your church membership? Right? Like, it costs people to be part of the church overseas. They pay a price, and I don't mean like, like, I mean truly an economic price, right? You could have this job if you would just leave your church, or you could have this job or no job because you stay in the church. So cheerfully bear the reproach of Christ. Avoid pressuring church leaders to avoid controversial topics. Number 11, be a consistent and joyful participant in worship services. Avoid being inconsistent in attendance or discontent with what you're getting out of it. So look at verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And again, notice the plurals. Let us Right? This is, this, is, this is a corporate thing. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips, to give thanks to his name. Right? So, you know, let us continually give it. Right? That's consistency. And then let's give praise and, and express thanks to God. Right? That's a, that's a joyful spirit. Right? You always have in every church, and every pastor knows who they are, your, like, frequent complainers. Right? Music's too loud, music's too soft. M you know, music's too modern, music's too old. You know, the sanctuary's too hot, it's too cold. You know, sermon was too long. S I don't ever get anyone complaining about it being too <laughs> short. But anyway, <laughs> I was hoping to be able to give the opposite. I'm like, nah, I, it's never happened. So anyway. <laughs> so, but anyway, be consistent and just be cheerful, right? It's like, what do you want around your dinner table, right? You, you just want your kids to, you, you want them to show up for dinner, and you want them to, you know, like, not be cranky and grumpy and, you know, all of that, okay? Num yes. Be a consistent and joyful participant in worship services. Avoid being inconsistent in attendance or discontent with what you're getting out of the service. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and feel free to raise your hand if I, if I don't, uh, don't, don't give the blanks. Number 12, give sacrificially of your time, talent, and treasure. Avoid being a religious consumer who comes to church to be served rather than to serve. So give sacrificially of your time, talent, and treasure. Avoid being a religious consumer who comes to church to be served rather than to serve. Verse 16, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Right, so notice it says, don't neglect doing good, right? You have to do something. Not just be somewhere, you have to do something, right? So attendance, obviously you can't do something if you're not there, right? So showing up is, like they say, showing up is half the battle, right? You have to be there, but while you're there, you have to do something, right? So every Sunday, every member of the church should be looking for an opportunity to encourage, to bless, to pray with someone, right? To do something, do something good, right? And notice it says, and sharing, right? Don't neglect to do good and to share, right? So you have to not come just to get, you have to 
be there to give. Right? Sometimes, you know, people are like, hey, I moved to a new city and I'm looking for a good church. And, and they're like, I, I found a good church, right? And they're telling me, they're all excited. They're like, the preaching is good. Man, I'm being fed. The worship is good. Man, you know, and it's like, and they get through the list and there's nothing in it about them using their spiritual gifts to minister to anyone else. It's like, okay, well, like I'm glad you found like the best movie to sit in the back row and watch, right? You know, but what about the other church that really needs you, right? Like, you know, you know, we heard a beautiful cello, right? It's like maybe you go to a church, they have four cellists, you know. Well, maybe you should go to the one that doesn't have any, right? So, okay. Number 13, obey church leaders unless they exceed the sphere of authority God has delegated to them. Avoid the chaos and divisiveness caused, and uh, this is another term I want you to remember. Avoid the chaos and divisiveness caused by ecclesiastical anarchists, okay? Ecclesiastical, that's a reference to like the church, right? Ecclesiastical anarchists. And if you spell ecclesiastical, you get like extra credit, right? If you spell it right. But don't ask me how to spell it because I don't know if I have it right, okay? So obey church leaders unless they exceed the sphere of authority God has delegated to them. Avoid the chaos and divisiveness caused by ecclesiastical anarchists. What is an ecclesiastical anarchist? It's the guy who like says, he goes home to his wife and he says, sweetheart, you need to submit to me because the Bible says wives submit to their husbands. And then he goes to church and tells the pastor, hey, you know what? No, no, you have to do what I tell you to do, right? You know, he, he's the guy who, who, he's an egalitarian, if you know what that word means, at church, and a complementarian at home. At home, he's the boss, and at church, he's the boss too, right? You know, there's only one commonality there, he's the boss everywhere he goes. This verse says very clearly, obey your leaders. <coughs> obey your leaders. In other words, Church leaders have real authority given to them by Christ. Now, it is real authority, but it is limited authority, right? I'm not saying, like, hey, you know, turn your church pastor and elders into, like, cult leaders that you obey without thinking and all that. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. God, all, you know, Jesus said, all authority belongs to me, right? But the one to whom authority has belonged, has he's delegated some authority to the government, but not unlimited authority. He's delegated some authority to church leaders, but not unlimited authority. And he has delegated to husbands and fathers some authority, but not unlimited authority. And that delegated authority to the church, the government, and the family, it does provide a system that, uh, I'll, I'll use the kind of American term for it, a system of checks and balances. Right? So the guy who's like browbeating his wife and kids all the time should have his abuse of family authority checked by the authority given to the pastors who come and be like, man, you're a total jerk. Right? Stop being such a jerk. Right? You need to lead the way Christ led, who came not to be served, but to serve. Right? And then there's some pastor who thinks he's king of the world. Right? That authority needs to be checked by some husbands and fathers in the church and by some elders and you know, if he gets too out of hand, even by the government, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, so where were we? Yeah, so obey church leaders unless they exceed the sphere of authority God has delegated to them. Avoid the chaos and divisiveness caused by ecclesiastical anarchists, right? Like, you know, those who think there should be no real authority in the church. 
that just is, is chaos. Okay, number 14, and we got to hustle here. Defer to the decisions made by church leaders, even if you disagree. Avoid being a backseat driver. All right, defer to the decisions made by church leaders, even if you disagree. Avoid being a backseat driver. You know, you go on a long trip. It's, it can be wearying, you know, to, you know, to be the guy who's doing the, like, six-hour, you know, you know, 1 a.m. to, you know, to 7 a.m. trip behind the wheel, right? So can you imagine, like, you're the one that's, like, laboring and all that, you know, and, like, some guy who's, like, you know, been snoozing and all that, he wakes up and he's like, hey, why are you driving in that lane, you know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know wh what's your reaction? You're like, dude, you want to do the work? F you know, fine, right? <laughs> you know, um, so do learn to defer to decisions, right? I'm not talking about sinful decisions. I'm not talking, don't defer to heresy. Don't defer to sin. Don't defer to that, right? But defer to decisions. You may not like it. You may think it's dumb. You may think it's the worst decision ever made. But if the plurality of leaders that lead your church have thought through it and made a decision, even if you disagree, defer, right? So, you know, my, a couple of years ago, my youth leaders came to me and they, they, they had really, over a period of several months, had really researched, thought through, done a ton of, of, of work, and they said, we would like to shift our main youth group meeting from our Wednesday night gathering to our Sunday evening gathering. And our leadership team, our elders, we considered all the factors and we went with their recommendation. And it's worked out gloriously, right? Like, you know, several years after that decision, it's like they were right, right? The youth, like this was all our youth volunteers and our youth pastor, they were right. They made the right call. We made the right call by saying yes to it. But there's like, I think there was like two families that left the church over moving youth group from Wednesday night to Sunday night. And it, it affected them, right? It meant, you know, they were involved in, in a music ministry, and this shift meant their kids couldn't do both. And so then they went to it, they left and went to a church where their kids could do both. I get that, but it's like, you know, they caused a big stink, you know, over whether youth group should meet on Wednesday night or Sunday night. It's like, you know, read this thing a hundred times and tell me whether that's a big deal, right? They just didn't agree, um, and they wouldn't defer. So, you know, don't, don't be that way. Okay. Number 15, be accountable to those who are accountable to the Lord to watch over your soul. Avoid remaining on the fringes of the flock where you can stray or be dragged away before anyone can notice or intervene. Be accountable to those who are accountable to the Lord to watch over your soul. Avoid remaining on the fringes of the flock where you can stray or you can be dragged away before anyone can notice and intervene to help you. Right? So look at verse 17. Obey your leaders. Right? That was... Uh, that was point 13, and submit to them, that was point 14, and now we're at point 15. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Right? You don't want to be, I, I love watching the nature shows, right? And, you know, you, you, <laughs> you watch these shows, right? You got like the, these massive, big, strong buff buffalo, right? You know, you got this bull buffalo, and he's, like, so confident in his strength that he, like, veers away from the herd. And he's off on his own. And, man, the lions come and take him, right? You know, he was so sure that he had the strength. He didn't feel he needed to be in the protection of the herd, and he pays the price, right? 
you know, don't be that guy, right? <laughs> you know, don't be that guy. You know, you, the Lord gave shepherds to keep watch over your soul. So avoid being detached, which makes you isolated, which makes you vulnerable. You know, as I think about the fact that, you know, you know I, I'm going to give an account to the Lord for the souls that have been, in, you know, collectively with the elders, I'm going to give an account. I'm like, you know, as you think through certain individuals, I'm like, how am I going to give an account to the Lord for, for, that, for that guy's soul? And I thought about it. And with certain guys, you know what I'm going to tell the Lord? He refused to be shepherded. That's going to be my report. He had every opportunity. We tried. But he just was standoffish. He didn't want it. Didn't need it. He was good on his own. Right? And so my report to the Lord is, he had every opportunity. We tried. He refused to be shepherded. So whatever happened, it's on him. Okay? Number 16. Be a source of joy and encouragement to your shepherds by thriving spiritually. Avoid being one of the reasons they struggle with feeling like failures. Be a source of joy and encouragement to your shepherds by thriving spiritually. Avoid being one of the reasons they struggle with feeling like failures. Verse 17, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The greatest pastoral griefs and discouragements are when the shepherds invest in someone and then they flake, stray, turn away. Those are, those are disappointing. The shepherds feel like failures, like, hey, you know, this guy veered off the flock, got eaten by lions, I must be a bad shepherd, right? I must be a bad shepherd. Now, there are times where it is neglectful shepherding. But other times, it's, you know, straying sheep. Don't cause grief to your shepherds, right? And it says, this would be unprofitable for you. Uh, discouraged shepherds are not, uh, are not beneficial to the flock. Number 17, pray for your leaders to have a good conscience and to live honorably. Avoid the assumption that faithful preaching exempts leaders from unfaithful living. Pray for your leaders to have a good conscience and to live honorably. Avoid the assumption that faithful preaching exempts leaders from unfaithful living. Verse 18 and 19, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. He asked for prayer, right? What does he ask for prayer for? For a good conscience and to live honorably. So pray uh, for your shepherds. They are men of, of, of clay and uh, face the same, same issues, same temptations you do. Number 18, remember who the great shepherd is. Avoid crediting men for the work of God. Look at verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, here's what I really love about th this verse. In Ephesians 4, right, it says, God gave to the church, right, you know, apostles and prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, right, and it says, for he gave them to the church for the equipping of the saints for work of service, right? So equipping the saints for the work of the service is my responsibility. It's the responsibility of my elders. The responsibility is on us. We've been given that responsibility. But in Ephesians 4.11, it says that Christ gave 
pastors and teachers as gifts to the church. And this verse reminds us that it's actually Christ who equips. He does it through pastors and teachers, but he's the one who equips for works of service. So pastors and teachers might be the means of the equipping, but the source of the equipping is Christ. Now, the God of peace who brought up from the, the dead, the great shepherd, right? So, yes, the great shepherd, he's got some assistants. He, got, he has some under shepherds, right? He's got some apprentice shepherds, maybe you could call it, right? The great shepherd, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, it says, may he, he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So remember who the great shepherd is, and therefore avoid crediting men for the work of God. Right? You've been blessed by, you know, by somebody's ministry. Give glory to God. It's okay to be grateful to people, right? Scripture says give honor where honor is due. That's fine. But just remember, they were the earthen vessel that God's work was poured into and carried to you. Right? Like, how many of you, when you eat the pie, are going to be like, that was the most awesome plate I've ever seen, right? <laughs> like, the preachers, the teachers are the plate. We're the plastic fork and the plate, right? Christ prepared, you know, prepared that grace for you. He prepared that blessing, that benefit for you. Like, you, you think about it even, right? Like, all of our material is, like, not ours, right? Like, hopefully, you know? <laughs> you know? Um, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, talk about, like, like, eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? It's like, spit out anything that's not from this book, right? And then give God the glory for everything that is. Okay, number 19. Persevere in paying attention to the very end of each sermon, including this one. No, I'm kind Avoid being miserly with your time and lazy with your attention span since you actually need more, not less exhortation. Okay, this is not me advocating <laughs> that you, like, let your, you know, preacher hold you hostage, right? You know, there's a great meme for, for pastors, right? It's, you know, it says there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... So I, yeah, I'm not advocating for like unlimited, you know, um, you know, grace given to us on the part of listeners, but persevere in paying attention to the very end of each sermon. Avoid being miserly with your time and lazy with your attention span, since the reality is you need more exhortation, not less. And where did I get this? Look at verse 22, okay? At the end of 13 chapters, like think about all that the book of Hebrews talks about, right? But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like the it's like the verse you want to end. Like every time I go overtime, right? And 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 if I go more than two minutes, I'm going to have to end with this verse, right? But you know, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Right? Like of all that could be said about God, of all that you need, this has been brief. So. Um, you know, so invest on the listening side. Number 20, last one, pay attention to what is going on in the lives of your leaders and communicate your love and appreciation for them. Avoid losing good men because of the inherent loneliness of leadership. Pay attention to what is going on in the lives of your leaders and communicate your love and appreciation for them. 
avoid losing good men because of the inherent loneliness of leadership. Look at verses 23 through 25. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. So, first of all, he says, take notice that Timothy's been released. You know, maybe they just, he was, he was concerned they didn't know, or maybe he was concerned that they weren't maybe making preparations for him to come. I think Paul didn't want Timothy to come out of prison and to show up somewhere, and people are like, like, oh, you know, and he doesn't have any place to stay or whatever, right? He just wanted them to show love to Timothy because he didn't want Timothy to get discouraged and all of that, right? And he says specifically, greet all of your leaders and all of the saints. So just pay attention to your leaders. Um, leadership is inherently lonely uh, for a variety of reasons. So just, you know, be, be friends to them, right? They're, they're brothers. Um, you know, pastors are always with everyone and seldom with anyone, if that makes sense, right? Always in a crowd, but most, if you ask pastors, like, hey, what do you struggle with? Loneliness is always one of the top three, right? So just pay attention a little bit to them. All right, let me pray for you, and, uh, and we'll be done. Lord, thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, uh, your word is immensely practical, and uh, Lord gives us instructions. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, Whatever, uh, that these men would, would chew the meat and spit the bones, uh, Lord, whatever came from uh, my um, flawed mind, uh, Lord, help them to discern it and spit it out, uh, that which comes from your word. May they, may they chew, uh, may they, may they uh, truly intake and then uh, with the energy supplied by your spirit apply uh, your word in their churches, Lord, that uh, your church, your bride may be strengthened for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.